This morning, God's Word comes to us from Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9. And we're going to be reading just the first 14 verses of this chapter. Hebrews chapter 9. Beginning at verse 1, what we hear now is God's Word. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the Most Holy Place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations, having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to turn to the back of the Trinity Psalter hymnal to page 864 in the back section. Page 864, and this morning we will read Article 25 of the Belgic Confession. From page 864, 64, near the bottom of that first column, Article 25 entitled, The Fulfillment of the Law. We believe that the ceremonies and symbols of the law have ended with the coming of Christ, and that all foreshadowings have come to an end, 
so that the use of them ought to be abolished among Christians. Yet the truth and substance of these things remain for us in Jesus Christ, in whom they have been fulfilled. Nevertheless, we continue to use the witnesses drawn from the law and prophets to confirm us in the gospel and to regulate our lives with full integrity for the glory of God according to his will. This is our confession of faith. Well, we have been dealing with what I have called the heart of the Belgic Confession, dealing with the person and work of Jesus Christ, the glorious work of atonement. We saw that Jesus Christ's work of atonement was sacrificial. He offered up himself for our sins. It was substitutionary. It was his act on our behalf. We have talked about wonderful truths of the gospel like justification. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And last time talking about the Holy Spirit's continued work in us through sanctification. How how our good works are absolutely required, knowing that we have been saved to the glory of God. It was a few weeks ago, I I quoted for you um, Calvin, John Calvin's defense for why the Reformation had to take place. And Calvin, you might remember, said that there were two reasons that the Reformation had to take place. The second reason was a proper understanding of the doctrine of justification. And we have dealt with that. The first reason, Calvin said, for why the Reformation had to take place was for the proper worship of God. The importance of proper, true worship. Worshiping in a way that is pleasing to God. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're not going to talk about all the specifics. We're going to talk about the principles and the character of New Testament worship. Remember, the confession was written to distinguish the Reformed position from two other positions with regard to salvation and with regard to worship. One of those positions it was distinguishing itself was from was the Anabaptist tradition. A tradition that in many ways ignored much of the Old Testament, much of the pictures, the ceremonies, the sacrifices, and focused only on the new. There was, for the Anabaptists, a radical discontinuity between Old Testament and New Testament. The other group that the Belgian Confession sought to distinguish the Reformed position from were the Roman Catholics, who put a huge emphasis on the Old Testament ceremony and the Old Testament sacrifice and all the Old Testament pictures, for them we might say that there was a radical continuity between Old Testament worship and New Testament worship today. It was the Reformed churches that sought to find the balance between these two. Recognizing the need to give full weight and authority to God's revelation in the Old Testament, but also recognizing that with the coming of Christ, some things had changed. 
There was both continuity and there was discontinuity. What's the relationship between Old Testament worship and New Testament worship? And that question is exactly the point of the book of Hebrews. What's the relationship between the Old Testament law and ceremony and sacrifice and New Testament believers? And particularly in chapter 9. And so we're going to look at this, at this text this morning. How do we understand proper worship today, giving full value, full weight to the authority of the Old Testament, but recognizing that, that truth in the light of the coming of Jesus Christ and how that informs our new Testament worship. We begin in verse 1. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship. And maybe that's where we have to begin. There are regulations, rules for worship. Over the last several weeks, I've been very forceful about the truth of the doctrines of grace. And I have said, justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and thundered that from this pulpit. And none of you has said to me, but that's just your opinion. No one said that. No one said, well, that's what you believe. But when we come to worship, and matters and principles of worship, that is the most common response we get, but that's just your opinion. It's worship, it's just your opinion. There are no rules. No regulations. Well, the author of Hebrews would certainly disagree. Even the first covenant, he says, had regulations. We remind ourselves that, that worship is not a matter of opinion. It is a matter of obedience. Obedience to the revealed will of God. Even the first Covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness, for a tent was prepared. Maybe you remember, kids, we had a, a long series of sermons not, not too long ago about that tent that was prepared for worship, the tabernacle. And we looked at, at all the, 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 the parts and the furnishings of the tabernacle. This tent with its, with its outer court and then with those two special rooms, the first one, the holy place. And inside that holy place, there was that lampstand, but not just like a single candle stand, a lampstand with many arms and, and oil that was flowing to the lamp, and there was always light going on. It was a beautiful picture for us. We saw the table and the loaves of bread, 12 loaves, one for each of the tribes of Israel, a picture of them being in the presence of God. We saw the, the altar of incense, gold, a golden altar, something beautiful to behold, these wonderful things, and then the sweet-smelling incense that would go up. We talked about the most holy place. And inside the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant, that, that gold-covered box and on top of that golden box was the mercy seat, the picture of God's throne. He, he, he ruling in the midst of his people. 
and the cherubim with their wings overshadowing. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing to behold. We even talked about the courtyard and the curtains being of fine linen and blue and purple and scarlet and all these wonderful colors. The tabernacle was a beautiful thing. It was a glorious thing. Uh, when we lived in Phoenix, uh, at, at some point while we were our, our time there, a group came through that would set up a life-size tabernacle. And I remember going, it was, it was a great big open field, and in this open field there was this life-size tabernacle set up and beautiful, and the curtains were glorious, and you could walk through it, and you could see uh, the holy place. Now, to be sure, there were interpretive choices that were made, but it, it was a beautiful picture. You could see the table and the lampstand and the incense altar, and then you could walk actually into the most holy place, a, a picture of that, and you could see this ark of the covenant and the throne and the cherubim, beautiful to behold. That was, that was all for the Old Testament time. Old Testament worship was worship for the eye. It was worship for the eye. It gave us a glimpse, it gave us a picture of the glory, of the magnificence of God by all these beautiful things to behold. And that's why there was a priesthood. We read in verse 6, uh, these preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. The priests could be seen. And as the people would see that priest go in providing their ongoing sacrifices and their work, the people saw, this is for us. It was, it was something to behold. It was worship for the eye. Even on that special day of atonement, when the high priest would go in to the most holy place, the people could see him as he would prepare to go in. And they'd say, this is for us. It was something to behold. Old Testament worship was worship for the eye. It was beautiful. It was majestic. It was glorious. And yet it was temporary. Read in verse 8. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. Verse 10, but these things deal only with food and drink and various washings and regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. It was beautiful. It was glorious. But it was temporary. It looked forward to an even greater reality it looked forward to the coming of Jesus Christ, and in His coming, everything changes. And that was, that was part of the error being addressed in the Belgic Confession. The, 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 the confession addressing the errors of false worship, focusing um, not so much on the Anabaptists, that one group who tended to ignore all the Old Testament, but focusing more particularly on the Roman church that wanted to hold on tightly to all the Old Testament imagery and beauty and external glory. 
missing the discontinuity in the coming of Christ. That was the error. And you see that still today. If you go into a, a, a Roman Catholic uh, cathedral, they're beautiful to behold. It was about uh, 15, almost 20 years ago now, I guess, I, I spoke at a minister's conference uh, in Ukraine. And uh, on the last day of the conference, after we finished, we went to Kiev and spent some time going through the city and saw some of the most glorious cathedrals I have ever seen in my life. And you walk in and you see all of the pictures and the statues and the beauty all drawing your eye forward up to the altar. And it was glorious to behold. Visually stimulating. Worship still for the eye. And, and, and that's why the Roman church still has a priest, someone to be seen. And that priest represents Christ for us. That's why the Mass is so important. Because they could see and they could touch and they could, they could visually appreciate the body and blood of Christ. But you see, that's the error. That's the error. It misses the point. Old Testament worship, worship for the eye, was intended to be temporary. It misses the coming of Christ. The one who came and who fulfilled all those Old Testament pictures. Look at verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. The priest is there to, to picture Christ, to represent Christ. A visual reminder for them. Now children, you know that I am not a priest. I'm not here to picture Christ for you. The, the error of trying to find something visual. Something to see. Christ came once for all, and in that, he did away with worship for the eye. And so we have, we have in the Reformation this, this old but new way of worshiping, recognizing all the symbols, recognizing all the pictures in the Old Testament, how they pointed forward to Christ, but in Christ we have the reality. And so our confession says, we believe that the ceremonies and the symbols of the law have ended with the coming of Christ, and that all foreshadowings have come to an end. So the use of them ought to be abolished among Christians. Yet the truth and substance of these things remain for us in Christ, in whom they have been fulfilled. All the Old Testament pictures, the worship for the eye pointing forward to Christ, was temporary, and now we don't go back to that. We have the reality in Jesus Christ. Why would we go back to the shadow? Why would we go back to the picture? When in Christ we have the reality. New Testament worship 
is not worship for the eye. New Testament worship is worship for the ear. It is meant to be heard. How many times aren't we told in the New Testament about the preaching, the declaring, the telling of the gospel, the Great Commission? Go, therefore, and baptize in the name of, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them. It doesn't say, go make images. It says, teach them everything I have commanded you. New Testament worship is worship for the ear. We're not called to return to the old shadows, but we're called to hear and to obey the reality, to listen to the gospel. Now, God has given us a beautiful place in which to worship, and we thank Him for that. But you remember a couple summers ago when we worshiped out in the parking lot under the big tent. That worship was no less than this worship is. Because in both, we have worship for the ear. In both, we have the declaration and call of the gospel. And whether we're in this beautiful sanctuary or whether we're under a tent in the parking lot does not make a difference. Because our worship is not for the eye. New Testament, reformed worship is for the ear. The externals are not that which is important. It is hearing the preaching of the gospel. And that's why today, in many evangelical churches, there's a, a, a strange irony taking place, and it would be uh, comical if it wasn't so sad. In many evangelical churches, their worship is based not on New Testament principles, but on Old Testament. They are returning to worship for the eye. You walk into the uh, sanctuary and there's a huge stage up front with beautiful lights and colors and all these things and, and then the singers come out and they all look so wonderful and then, then the, the robe-bedecked minister comes and he's got all these things on his arms and his sleeves and, and the jumbotron is up there so we can all see! That's worship for the eye! That's Old Testament! And they call it contemporary. This is contemporary worship. It's going back to the Old Testament principles. New Testament worship is worship for the ear. And the terrible thing is that in, in some of those churches, the gospel's missing. That which makes worship true. Worship to be heard. Worship to be, to be embraced. Is no longer there. It's a return to the shadow and a rejection of the reality. New Testament worship is worship not to be seen. It is worship to be heard, to hear the glories of the gospel, 
to hear about Jesus Christ, what he has done for us, that he has taken all of our sins upon himself, that he has given up his life unto death, that our dead lives might be brought to life. New Testament worship is worship for the ear. And so I call you once again today, I call you to put your faith and your trust in that Jesus Christ, the Jesus Christ revealed to us through the Word, the one who was Word of God, the one who calls you today to embrace Him, to trust Him, and to know the reality of the fullness of salvation found in Him. That's, that's New Testament worship. The danger, the danger to go back to the shadow is always there to displace the preaching of the word with almost anything else that seems more exciting, often more visual. But it's through the call of the gospel and the work of the Spirit that the church grows. Grows not only in number, but grows spiritually, grows, grows closer to God. Worship for the eye, the shadows, the pictures, is done away with in Christ and should be left behind. No, God in His grace allows us to worship with the ear, to hear the gospel. May we never tire, I never tire of hearing the gospel proclaimed and the call of the gospel to faith and repentance. May God give us a great deal of joy of satisfaction, not looking for something more, more visual, more exciting, but hearing the word, embracing the truth, and knowing the joy of belonging to Jesus Christ. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we do thank you for your word, for all of your word. We do thank you for the Old Testament for the many pictures and images and ceremonies and sacrifices, all pointing forward to the coming of your Son, Jesus Christ. And yet we know, O oh God, that that Old Testament principle is done with, is abolished, and not to be returned to. You are a God of beauty, a God of glory, but you glory in having your word proclaimed and the gospel declared. And so, Lord God, make us joyful, make us satisfied, with that type of worship. And may we thank you that you have chosen to reveal the glorious way of salvation and it's taught again and again and the call goes out again and again. Lord God, strengthen us, encourage us, and bless us through the declaration of your holy word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We turn to number 393. And number 393, Spirit of God, dwell thou within my heart. We're going to sing the verses 1, 2, and 3, and then also verse 5. Verses 1, 2, and 3, and verse 5. Number 393, let's stand together as we sing.
Receive the parting blessing of our God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.